How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 22 of X Lapsed, uh, where we're going to be talking about my other favorite book from the uh, all the number ones of Dawn of X here. We're going to be talking about New Mutants number two. Let's hop right on into it. This had a January 2020 cover date. The story is called Space Jail, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Rod Reese. Uh, letters, VCs, Travis Lanham, designs, Tom Muller, edits, Bisa White Sobolski, cover price, $3.99. Went on sale November 27th, 2019. And uh, right off the bat, this issue has a really fun cover. Um, The part of me feels like it might have been intended for a later issue. Uh, That is, of course, uh, if I'm under the assumption that the cover is reflecting anything that might go on inside the book, which I suppose really isn't a current year comics concern, so who knows. But uh, it does look like it's a story beat. It's just not a story beat we see here today. So, let's crack her open, and uh, here we're presented with our roll call. We're going to have Karma, Wolfsbane, Mondo, Cypher, Mirage, Sunspot, Chamber, and Magic. And uh, we open with a couple of pages of Berto recapping everything that's gone on, and uh, bringing us up to speed on some things we weren't privy to, which I really like. It's a very efficient use of of you know paginal real estate. Uh, He talks about... uh, the, you know, how he talked the team into visiting, or as he puts it, rescuing Sam. Uh, he got all of his ex-corp uh, business in order first. Uh, they caught a ride with the Starjammers. And during that pirate heist last issue, we actually learned here that the New Mutants, they, uh, they pocketed uh, whatever it was that was stolen. Now, I guessed it was the King Egg, but I'm not so sure that's what it actually was. I suppose we'll, we'll see as we go. Um, turns out that the Starjammers, they thought they had it, but all they really had was the container that the, the thing came in. Uh, we do get a shot here of Rain shoving whatever it is into Mondo's belly, which I, I guess is going to be that poor fella's gimmick. You know, dude who has stuff jammed in his belly, which, you know, with a gift like that, Mondo should uh, maybe try to join the Legion, right? I think that's right up there, alley. Um, now from here, the new Muse are arrested, as we saw. Uh, Magic messes with the people on the inside with their soul sword, and Bobby uh, connects with his wicked space lawyer. Three days later, they're in front of the judge. Before we get there, however, uh, how would you like uh, two mostly blank pages that only contain the credits and indicia? Because that's what we got next. And I'm I'm sorry I bring that up every episode here. I'm not sure why that annoys me so much. Um, Because at the end of the day, it's not like they're going to give us extra comics pages instead of it. Uh, we'd probably just get another house ad for one of the, you know, five or six overblown Venom events they seem to have going at once these days. Um, but yeah, double page, spread of creds. 
Back to comics. Uh, that space lawyer, uh, Blurdock, or whatever his name is, he pleads his case to the uh, judge. But the New Mutants are found guilty anyway, and they're given a life sentence, long-term custody of the Shi'ar Empire. But it's not so bad, because the folks they've been placed under the custody of are Sam and his wife, uh, Crusher or Smasher, or whatever stupid name she's got. Um, in a really cool panel here, all of the New Mutants run over and, like, embrace Sam, right? And that is the legacy New Mutants. So I'm not counting the Generation X contingent, because they're not all that impressed or moved here. So we get this really awesome panel of this, like, tremendous group hug with, uh, Chamber and Mondo just standing out there, not, not really, uh, not part of it. I think that's a really cool, uh... Really cool thing. Uh, it's worth noting here that Cannonball's wife is really, 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 really annoying. Um, not a fan. Uh, the new muse asks how Cannonball found them, and after joking that he's placed trackers on all of them, he reveals that Bobby's wicked space lawyer actually got a hold of him instead. Uh, Quake or Crumble or Smash or whatever stupid name she is, she uh, complains that the call woke the baby. Uh, but confirms for, at least the time being... She and Sam own the convict New Mutants. Uh, here, Bobby and Sam have a bit of a contentious reunion, which uh, feels pretty real. Uh, it's kind of a tough pill to swallow when your friends kind of, like, move on, uh, like, enter new stages of life, and, and you kind of don't. So, uh, I can totally relate to this little back and forth here. Uh, then, as, you know, just as it's getting good, Sam's wife, what's-her-face, rushes in and punches Roberto right in the face. Uh, she's just ticked off about the entire situation and doesn't want to be here in the first place, to which I agree. I wish she wasn't here either. Uh, now, Sam helps Berto to his feet, and they hug, saying that they missed one another. Next, an info page. Uh, it's the court order. Uh, probably not something we needed to see. Uh, the whole thing leads up to a gag or a joke that just says that uh, Roberto's wicked space lawyer sucked. I don't know we needed a whole page for that, but... That's what we got. Uh, we shift to Shi'ar space, where Sam's super guardian wife, Smasher, so I, I guess her name is Smasher, uh, she gets a call from Gladiator of the Imperial Guard, and he reveals that he's got a job for them. Then, another info page. This is just uh, showing Gladiator and his two advisors. And, uh, you know, I'm really enjoying this issue so far, but enough of these for now. Please, can we... Can we have a moratorium on these. Can we just not not do these for a little bit? I don't know why this is getting so under my skin, this issue. Um, but not everything needs an info page devoted to it. This whole thing that's here on this page could have been summed up in a narrative caption later in the issue. Didn't need this page. Again, it's not like they would have given us comics instead, but still. Uh, we jump to Sam's pad, and the New Mutants are playing some weird card game with cards that they can't read and don't understand. Well, Cypher gets it, but that's kind of his gimmick. Now, Danny bluffs and says she's got a good hand, and so Jono calls her bluff, at which point she reminds us all that she, quote, fights bears. And, uh, Danny, we really want to go there? I mean, the, you, you, you didn't, the, the bear kind of kicked your ass, right? It was, your, it was your pals who put the bear down back in the day. Uh, then again, I guess we got to try to cram a demon bear reference in here somehow. Uh, uh, there's a movie coming out or something, right? Not that Marvel wants you to know about it or, or pay money to go see it. Uh, now, the card game goes on for over two pages, and it ends with Danny proclaiming herself the winner. 
until Doug, who can actually read the cards, tries to correct her, and Danny elbows him in the ribs all casual-like, and he comes around to the fact that she, in fact, won. It's a cute little scene. Uh, From here, we catch back up with Sam and Bobby, and uh, the latter fills in the former on all the goings-on at Krakoa. You know how they start in a new language, how there's a quiet council. Uh, Nothing about Xavier dying, which, I mean, the New Mutants wouldn't know anything about that at this point anyway. Uh, Smasher comes in to interrupt and reveals that she's got some good news, and she's got some bad news. Now, the good news is all charges were dropped against the New Mutants. The bad news is they've been drafted into carrying out a mission for the Magister. So, what's the gig? Well, to answer that, let's pop on over to Gladiator and Friends. He's talking to a young Lalandra, Lalandra Deathbird-looking girl, which uh, stands to reason since her, na- her name is Zandra Neramani. Uh, they're trying to groom her for her eventual ascension to the throne. So how do the New Mutants figure, figure in? Well... They've been sent off to fetch Zandra's aunt to be her new advisor. And, of course, her aunt is Deathbird. Sunspot gets one look at the bird lady and decides he's in love. So these uh, synopsises get shorter and shorter as we go, right? These aren't quite Hoxpox-level synopsises here. Uh, And they're not first-issue synopsises either, so... These uh, won't take quite as long (laughs) as we move along here. Um, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this issue here. Uh, I really enjoyed my time with it. Uh, though, and I mentioned it during the synopsis here, I don't know why, but the info pages were kind of like nails on a chalkboard this time out. And it's not like there were more of them than usual. It's just the ones we got were just so pointless and just really felt like page eater, you know? Um, it just... It felt like they only told so many pages and, and needed to needed to fill it out. Um, now, when we started this little journey of X-Lapsed here, I mentioned that there are a few kinds of comic stories that I automatically tune out on. And we talked about it with the X to the third power. You know, X-Cubed was a far-flung future, and I told you I can't do those. <laughs> I really lose interest with far-flung eras, future or past. And the other one is Space Stories. And uh, I think we can say at this point, this arc, at at least right now, it kind of sidesteps my worries a little bit. You know, it makes the focus of the story more about the interactions between the characters and not like the starry setting. Though the Shi'ar Imperial Guard is still terribly boring to me. Um, I'm not sure I've ever read an issue with like a primary focus on Deathbird that I'd ever care to read again. Maybe this one will buck that trend, or maybe it won't. (laughs) I guess we'll see. Uh, I am a total sucker for scenes like we got where the kids were playing cards. Uh, I really enjoy the New Mutants just acting like friends. Um, It was nice to see. It uh, it reminded me a bit of like the post-crossover quiet issues that Scott Lobdell would do back in the 90s, where it was just the team being, you know, being more of a family, you know, just chatting and, and catching up and just having a good time together, and I, I like that a lot. Uh, now, Cannonball showing up here was cool, uh, though, and this might just be me, I, I could totally relate to Sunspot's sort of kind of standoffishness with his, uh, you know, his best pal. Um, and this isn't anything that's necessarily unique to me, but I, you know, a lot of us, you know, have been in those situations before where, you know, you have a really close friend and you lose touch, right? And maybe months go by, maybe years go by. Just, you know, it happens. It's just 
you know, the paths we take in life. Um, you know, they they fork, you know, and we go different directions. And then when you when you meet up with them again down the line and uh, and like you see that they're in this whole new phase of life, you know, maybe they're married, maybe they have children, maybe they're, you know, they have a degree, they have a great job. Um, and then you look at yourself, right? And, uh, and, and this happens, this happened a lot to me, uh, but uh, like you'll see your friends who are in these new phases of life and I'm just stagnating. You know, I'm almost like reluctant to accept that anybody's life can go on with me not in it, (laughs) in a way, which is is weird. Um, Because on the other hand, you know, relating the other way, it was like my life didn't go on without these people in it, because I'm still in the same place, you know. That uh, that really explains a lot of my like late teens, early twenties uh, friendships and relationships. And I actually did a whole episode of Chris's on Infinite Earths about it. Um, that's episode twenty three, Adventures of Superman number four. I'm sorry, five forty nine, and that is in the archives. If anybody's interested in hearing what a uh, sad sack I am. So yeah, it's like a, you know, th- this sort of a scene is kind of a kick in the gut. You know, it makes you question. You know, how far along are you in your life, right? How, what what opportunities have you passed on or missed out on or just didn't try hard enough to see through? Uh, definitely relatable. And um, I found myself feeling kind of bad for Bobby. Uh, either that or I read too much into it or I just projected onto him. Either way, <laughs> it could be that. Uh, now, Cannonball, I liked seeing Cannonball's wife, not so much. Yish. Um... I wouldn't have so much of a problem with her if she didn't strike me as like that like lazy Bendis archetype character, like like a woman whose entire character can be summed up by her anger or snark. I mean, at least that's the impression I'm getting here. I, I like I can't separate Smasher from like the Quakes and the Maria Hills of the universe. It just ugh. Then again, I might just be projecting. That's always a possibility. Overall, I really dug this issue. I thought, uh, you know, there was some real fun character moments here. I really, I don't know why that panel where Jono and uh, Mondo are, like, excluded from the group hug affected me so much. Uh, I, You know, I've made it clear here. I started my X journey in the early 90s, so the New Mutants were, were never my team. They were never my peers, you know. The Gen X kids were. You know, the Jubilee Skins, uh, was a Sink, uh, Husk. Those were my peers growing up. You know, they were in my uh, cohort, I guess. Uh, we were of the same age. So I, I find myself relating with them so much more because I experienced all those things firsthand with them. Whereas the New Mutants, I had to revisit that later on down the line. So seeing them left out of this group hug, I... It bugged me, but I loved it at the same time because, like, they wouldn't be, you know, just because they all wear X's on their belts doesn't mean they're all pals. And uh, not that Mondo hung around all that long in the first place, but I just thought this was a very powerful panel. And uh, and what we know about Hickman's writing is uh, you know, there are no accidents, right? There, this this was supposed to this was supposed to be sort of a demarcation, and I loved it. I loved it. Uh, you know, Sam and Bobby's scenes, uh, wonderful stuff. As I've, you know, talked way too much about already. I thought this was a, 
a real a real nice character piece between the two of them. Uh, you know, friends who hadn't seen each other in a while catching up, and they're they're one's a different guy, and one is uh, the same old guy. It's I like that a lot. Um, now, as much as I enjoyed this issue, I'd be lying if I said I'm looking forward to whatever's heading our way next issue with Deathbird. Uh, I'm not a fan. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the Imperial God. Um, yeah. Uh, but again, you know, maybe this will be the story that bucks the trend for me. Also, again, maybe it won't. <laughs> Who knows? But uh, real fun issue. Real fun issue for the most part. Um, and next we will be talking about X-Force, which brings us right into our feedback section here because we have a letter from Damien talking about X-Force number one. Now, he opens up with, I have to start with thanking you for all the nice things you've said about my feedback. This podcast has been a real source of joy in what is a difficult time. It's fantastic to know that I have a podcast to look forward to daily. Thank you. I mean, thank you, actually, for sticking around and continuing to reach out. Um, You know, anybody who reaches out here is part of the show. You know, this isn't just me. You know, sitting in a in a room by myself, spitting into a microphone. This is, you know, all of us. This is, and, and I mean, I wish I could put into words what it means to me that people are are willing to reach out, and and just listen. Um, you know, one of the hardest parts about creating content for the internet, whether it's you know a blog you write or audio, video, any sort of production, the hardest part is finding people who are willing to engage. Um, I can say with complete honesty that if folks weren't reaching out and chatting me up about the show and and these books, it would be far more difficult to find the motivation to continue doing it. Um, it's hard, you know, I, as much, uh, as a buzzword, a corporate buzzword as synergy is, right? I, I think we all kind of like roll our eyes at the concept of synergy because it's just become a, like a corporate go-to. Th- there is a real... There, there's something real to it, you know. It's uh, we all propel each other here, and uh, and it means the world to me that there are folks who are listening and uh, and are reaching out and uh, being part of this with me, joining me for this journey. It really, really means a lot. I mean, I've been doing this blogging, potting thing for a half decade now, and so much of it has been met by silence. You know, it's but you keep on keeping on. You you have that hope that. Uh, you know what is what is what was that? Dan, not wasn't Dances with Wolves. It was the other Kevin Costner thing. Field of Dreams. You know, you, if you build it, they'll come. You know, and you have to just hope that uh, that they will. And they don't always, but when they do, it's it's wonderful. It's wonderful. So thank you and, and thanks everybody. Uh, back to Damien's message here. He says, "Hearing your responses to the feedback, I re- I realized you're not the cynic. You still have enough hope that you kept reading Titans after it became micromanaged by Didio." You're possibly the most hopeful man in comics fandom. <laughs> Those were some very difficult years as a as a Titans fan. Um, now the Titans are basically like my DC X Men, though I'm sure that's not something that's unique to me. Uh, the Titans books, the Titans family of books, when there are families of books, um, they're definitely of the can't quit you variety. And, you know, just like the X-Men, I have a nearly full run of Titans since, you know, they first appeared in the Silver Age. That said, it's been mostly garbage for like 15 years now, which... Well, there's another similarity with the X-Men, or at least how I describe the X-Men. 
Um, and, you know, on the subject here, a grip of those awful Titans issues were uh, written by the uh, the guy who's writing X-Force right now, Ben Percy. So there we go. It all comes back full circle. Uh, back to Damien. He says, I gave up on looking for a logical consistency in my comics continuity around about 1995. And since then, I've mainly focused my attention on the peripheral books. I would not buy a DC Rebirth number one because I know it won't mean anything unless I read everything that DC releases. Even then, I know anything can be overwritten by management if they decide they haven't got enough readers. And that's 100% true. Now, Rebirth number one... I've discussed Rebirth number one a couple of times on this channel. Uh, we did a Cosmic Treadmill, and uh, I also did a Crystals on Infinite Earth standalone episode uh, going through Rebirth. And uh, one of the things I tried avoid avoiding calling it was kind of the buzzword that was going around at the time was that uh, Rebirth number one was called DC's apology letter to the fans, right? You know, after flushing many of us away with the New 52 for what turned out to be very short-term gains, though a couple of titles, not, uh, you know, notwithstanding, you know, Batman and Justice League would remain strong throughout, you know, all five or six of the New 52 years. Um, unfortunately, though, from how things shook out, Rebirth number one, if you were to read it today, feels like it mostly exists outside of continuity itself. You know, a few things managed to stick, but not as many as you'd hope. Uh, hell, I mean, you'd hope everything that would that, that would come up in an issue proclaiming to lead to a new, just a new era, would, would lead to something, but it didn't. Uh, I think a lot of that had to do with uh, Jeff John's slipping seats in the DC hierarchy, but, I mean, if that's the case, just... <laughs> Give the books to another writer, right? Just get someone else who can do it. Uh, unfortunately, though, Mar uh, DC fell into that, like, Marvel trap uh, of, like, letting superstar creators stomp on all the toys and leaving nothing behind but, like, a mess of broken pots, right? Uh, DC of 2020 actually feels very much to me like Civil War-era Marvel. So was I 2004, 2005, 2006-ish? Uh, folks who know me and have listened to the shows on this channel will know that Civil War was kind of my Rubicon. It was what finally cured me of my Marvel zombiedom. So uh, DC is in that sort of uh, is in that conversation now, um, where I post rebirth I went all in. Uh, I I didn't read very many of the books that I bought, but that's just me being an idiot. But I did go all in. Uh, I took. I didn't take Rebirth as the apology that many people said it was. I just took it as, um, you know, getting to getting to see old friends again. You know, reconnecting with something that gave me joy. I, I felt like it was safe to come home again. You know, not that DC was my home, per se, but uh, oh, but the New 52 most certainly wasn't. So this was different than that. Um it just feels to me like, I don't know. <laughs> Back to Damien. He says, Obviously my sickness is believing that Hoxpox Docs is the one Marvel relaunch where they will make it possible for me to follow along without buying everything. The X-Men are so important to me that I want them to be for me even when it isn't. Dude, 100%. <laughs> that is the toughest thing. Um... You know, knowing your time's passed with a property or knowing that you're no longer wanted as being part of the audience for a property is such a hard pill to swallow. 
And, you know, not to keep referring back to the New 52, but I still remember the day that it was announced that DC was going to flush, you know, 70-plus years of legacy in order to search for the mostly non-existent new reader. You know, it was a Memorial Day 2011. And, uh, oh boy, that day sucked. People like me were heartbroken. I mean, we spent so much time, effort, money on these characters and these stories. You know, uh, and, and I've talked about this before where people are like, well, they're not, they're not coming to your house and taking the comics away. They're still there. It's like you're missing the point, dude. On the other side of the coin here, you had people like me who were heartbroken. But on the other side, people were almost like celebrating our loss. They were like dancing on the grave of our DC. Letting us know that our time had passed and it's time for us to go. Because all the problems in the comics industry are our fault. And we, need, we need to be out of here so th- things can you know flourish again. And I mean, that's... That's kind of how I felt about Marvel, too, probably ever since uh, Axel Alonso was slotted into the uh, EIC seat. Uh, People in my cohort, people of my vintage, were more or less told, hey, these books aren't being written for you anymore. Unfortunately for Marvel, the joke was on them, because despite the fact that they're not for people like me, check it out. Turns out it's only people like me who still plop their cash on the counter for this garbage. (laughs) You know, you didn't get your new readers. At least not in numbers where it would matter. Uh, I'm happy to be back in the X camp with Hox Pox Docs, but, uh, you know, i got to be realistic here. I'll concede that the jury is still very much out on whether or not this will be an extended stay or just a visit. You know, it's it, a, lot, a lot remains to be seen. Um, so far, so good, but... Uh, you never know. And like you said here, uh, something from on high could change everything. I, I always say about the comics industry, we're just we're we're on we're like one day away from the wrong person seeing the wrong line item on their budget sheet and deciding why do we still put money into this, <laughs> and comics would be wiped out. But uh, on an on a less severe note, we could have a new editor seated in there and be like. What is this crap with Krakoa? Nope, not doing this anymore. So, I mean, you just never know. You just never know. That's part of the problem, I think. Uh, it, we're, we're, a, we're a fandom that gets raked over the coals for, for not accepting change when all we have is change, right? Yeah. Back to Damien. He says, I crave the feeling I got when I used to pick up Uncanny, New Mutants, and X-Factor and read them and reread them. If I read them now, I still love them. And I totally have similar memories. Um, my core coming in, you know, 91, 92, they were like the big four X-Books. You had Uncanny X-Men, you had X-Men Volume 2, X-Factor, and X-Force. Back then, I could actually buy my entire wor- month's worth of books for a single $5 bill. <laughs> my uh, local shop did not charge tax to kids, and they were all $1.25 each. So, five bucks, I get all my books. And, uh, like you, I read them over and over again. I read the letters pages over and over again. Everything I could read, I would, it would just be ingrained in me. It's, when I flip through some of those early issues, they, the, the panels are almost, like, iconic now. Even in just issues that aren't, you know? It's just because I've seen them so many times and they've, they've meant so much to me. Um, also, um... I read them over and over again because I was a wizard kid. 
you know, Wizard, the guide to comics. And I looked for anything that happened in any issue that might make it a key. <laughs> you know, not that I had designs on selling them. I just wanted to own something that was valuable. I wanted something that I could look in the Wizard price guide and it would say first something, you know, or it would just have anything denoted on the line for that issue. And it's it's really crazy the things that you'll, you know, see in a comic when you want to see it. I uh, An example I, I usually recall is uh, having my phone ring uh, while we, my, I was eating dinner with my family. And I was probably 12, 10, 11, 11 or 12. And the phone rang, and it was my friend. And uh, my mother was very annoyed that he called during dinner, but uh, she let me talk to him anyway. And he told me, hey, you got to check out, you know, page whatever in this book that we just bought today. And I flipped to it, and I'm like, okay. And it was a, it was a, an Executioner song issue, um, so late 92, I guess. And he's like, he's like, dude, I think this was the first time we ever saw Cyclops without his visor on. Because it was a picture of Cyclops without his visor on, because Strife had knocked it off. And uh, the things you, like, talk yourself into seeing is, like, we were certain that, like, in the next issue of Wizard, uh, we would see... We would see a note there that this was the first time we saw Cyclops without his visor on, which is laughably stupid, but uh, we were stupid kids. What are you going to do? Back to Damien. He says, on to X-Force. I only bought this first issue, and I immediately dropped it. I really don't care for the security angle. It's nice to see them doing something interesting with Black Tom, but everything else felt like it was going through the motions, and the cliffhanger was a failure for me. Of course they can resurrect the professor. Yeah, I think I gotta agree. Um... I mentioned uh, that I was worried that the cliffhanger was more of a meta thing, you know, like we're being like what we're being groomed to expect from an opening issue, because I have very little doubt that Charles will be stomping the yard again very soon, and we've already know that he's got backup Cerebro units. Also, is a little also a little bit telling is the fact that outside of Magneto brooding a little bit in Fallen Angels, nobody seems all that bothered. By his passing. I mean, we saw people dancing the other day. <laughs> it's no, nobody really is too worried about it. Um, so yeah, there's, I don't know. It just feels like a, a little baity, right? A little baity, a little switchy. Um, uh, Damien continues, I'm not a big fan of the ultra-violent X-Men stories, but I have to acknowledge that the action sequences were well-drawn, but this is just not for me. And yeah, this is definitely different in tone from the rest of the line. Um, I hate to sound terribly precious, but uh, it it almost insisted upon its violence, right? The art, it, it was very good. It was very solid art, but uh, yes, darker and uh, very violent. Um, Damien continues, Interestingly, I have seen some people raving about how great this book becomes, so maybe you'll convince me to give it another try. And I, I purposely stay out of the circles where these books are being discussed, so I haven't heard a whole lot of hype. Uh, hopefully it becomes something great, though uh, with... All the Domino stuff on the next bunch of covers, eh, I kind of have my doubts. Uh, she's just not a character I'm all that fond of following, because I feel like all, so many of her stories are basically the same. You know, like she goes somewhere, she gets caught, she gets out. Uh, it feels like that's every Domino story. Maybe, you know, just like with uh, with this New Mutants issue, maybe I'll be proven wrong. You know, who knows? But uh, but that's Damien's message. As always, huge thank you for uh, for reaching out. It's very, very much appreciated. 
Our last bit of feedback comes from our friend Jason here, and he says, uh, this is regarding Excalibur number two, and he says, Excalibur number two is the first Dawn of X issue I've read specifically to follow along with X Lapsed. So, thanks? <laughs> I was, uh, I, I had to laugh out loud when I saw that message, um, because uh, Excalibur number two, if you listen to that episode, not in my wheelhouse. Um, so the thought that someone else actually read it um, to follow is, 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 it tickles me. Um, it means a whole lot to me, though, Jason. Thank you. It's uh, definitely different, right? <laughs> it's something different. <laughs> Jason continues. Although, in fairness, right after that, I also went and read the first official X of Tens event, so S- Tens of Swords or X's of Swords or whatever we're calling it, and woo boy, I'll redact spoilers, but I did decide that if I wanted a chance in Otherworld of understanding that event, I would have to go back and read all of the Excalibur book, and po- probably some previous volumes of Captain Britain, and possibly order some Absinthe off the dark web, but uh... Thank you so much, Jason. Um, I have not been following any of the hype for X of Tens of Swords of Tens of Xs. <laughs> I haven't been following any of it. Um, I don't know what to expect from it. I do know that uh, that people are calling it Tens ten, uh, ten of Swords, uh, having to do with like a tarot card or something. I will probably still be calling it X of Swords, but uh, that's just me being an idiot. Um... Yeah, so I guess uh, we won't be able to drop Excalibur then, huh? Not that I, not that I was planning to, but uh, we'll have to play. We'll have to keep paying special attention to everything that's going on in Excalibur. Right? I think I saw on the credits for uh, for X of Swords, uh, Teeny Howard is a big part of that, and uh, since since she's also writing Excalibur, it does stand to reason. So yeah, so I, we'll see how it goes. I'm I'm not sure what to expect from it. Uh, like I said, I'm trying to avoid as much of the hype as possible, so it's uh, so it'll come to me as a uh, as fresh as possible. Though I think by the time X of Swords is over with, we should be caught up. If uh, if I keep at this for the next hundred or so days, <laughs> we'll we'll get there. We'll get there, and it'll be all good. <laughs> but uh, you know, the Captain Britain stuff, the older Captain Britain stuff, it's funny you mention that because I was actually just flipping through a couple of those collections um, that I have. I think I mentioned the a few episodes back that I that I have precious little uh, familiarity with the, uh, you know, with the UK, the Marvel UK Captain Britain stuff. Um, but I do have that Alan Moore, uh, Alan Davis trade that... Jemis and Casada screwed up the Indicia on, and also a Davis and Delano collection. And uh, I was thinking about breaking them out to do do a little something with. I, I do have some other projects that I'm kicking around, and uh, I think that might be a fun one to do. I think that might be a, an interesting one to do because I think so many folks have uh, have missed out on it. Um, I know that that uh, that Moore and Davis. Uh, Volume. I don't know if that it's still in print or if it was even in print very long because of the Indicia mix-up. But uh, I'd like to share some of those because those were those are some great stories. Um, I don't know if I talked about it here or on a different show, but uh, yeah, I mean they were able to make that 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 character the Fury like the scariest thing in the world, and uh, that's always cool. That's always cool when you when you can take this uh, when you take a character and actually make you make you scared of it 
I think that's a that's a damn good thing for uh, for comics. But uh, that is Jason's message. Thank you so much for reaching out, Jason, and also thank you for making me jealous by posting the picture of uh, your walk, <laughs> of your 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 autumn walk, where the leaves are changing color out in uh, New England, where. Here I am in Arizona, and it's still triple digits Fahrenheit, and uh, the bushes in the backyard are dying, but that's about as folly as we're going to get. But uh, thank you so much. Uh, if you'd like to reach out, you could do so at Ace Comics on Twitter or at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find the show notes at chrisoninfiniteearths.com or xlapsed.chrisoninfiniteearths.com. You can find the complete audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. I think that's all I got for you today. Just uh, thank you all so, so much one more time. And uh, till next time, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh